Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan. I'm the co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. This episode, to be honest with you guys, we're recording right after we recorded our previous episode. So I'm going to skip the niceties of asking Patty how he is, because I know how he is. He's positively fantastic, and he knows how I am. I'm absolutely perfect or oblichne as well. So we're going to get right into the meat and potatoes. And what are those meat and potatoes or beans and lentils for our vegan friends this week, Patty? Beans and lentils does not sound as appetizing as meat potatoes. <laughs> but look, you got to do what you got to do. Um, today we're talking about cardio for fat loss in particular. Obviously, we can talk about cardio from a number of perspectives. It would definitely help, as Gary alluded to there, it would definitely help you if you have not already to go back and listen to the previous episode because there are some sort of some sort of some continuation points so to speak from that episode right and so it does definitely behoove you to go back and listen to it but you should be able to gain some information from this on its own without that stuff right so let's get stuck into it cardiovascular training for fat loss my first question for you gary is well two questions why would we do cardiovascular training in a fat loss context? And then also, is cardio needed for fat loss? Because you'll also see this, you know, propagated where someone's like, oh, to lose fat, you need to do cardio. It's a, it's a necessity, right? So w- by what mechanism is cardio inducing fat loss? And then do we need to do cardio to get fat loss? Yeah. So the primary mechanism by which cardio is going to lead to fat loss is by increasing your overall energy expenditure. And the reason it's a popular method of doing so is because when you do cardio, you're generally able to do a lot of it, you know, a lot more of it than you would be able to do with weight training. You know, if you were doing, let's say, just lower body resistance training on a given day, you know, you might get, um, 45 60 maybe even 90 minutes of productive work done but going any longer than that you're going to really struggle and even with that said you're taking lots of breaks between you know sets you know you might have five minute periods between your squats at some at some points so the amount of actual work that you're doing is not actually that significant if you count up the overall time that doesn't mean it doesn't burn plenty of calories it does and as per the last episode you absolutely should be lifting weights but when it comes to cardio It's actually quite easy for someone to add in two hours of extra cardio into their day, provided obviously it fits their schedule without being overly fatigued by doing so. And lots of bodybuilders do this where they might get up in the morning and they'll do an hour of cardio in the morning. And then after their weight training workout in the evening, they'll do another hour of cardio. So you might be burning, let's say, four to 600 calories during each of those cardio sessions. And now you've bumped up your daily energy expenditure by around a thousand calories or so, assuming all else is equal. So when you consider that and you consider the fact that if you're exercising at between, let's say 120 to 140 beats per minute, you know, relatively low to moderate intensity exercise, you know, it's, it's not that fatiguing, you know, it's, it's not taking that much out of you. You don't have to psych yourself up for it. You can probably do it fasted if you're not, if you're not well-fueled. It, it's very clear how people could use that to burn a lot more calories and as, as a result, facilitate fat loss as a consequence. Um, that's the basic rationale. There's further rationale that people might have, such as if you do certain modes of activity or certain modes of cardio that you burn more energy throughout the day. And the classic example of that is that when you do, when you do interval training or more anaerobic type exercise, 
there's somewhat of a, an increase in the amount of oxygen that's consumed or energy that's burned after the activity. Um, and one of the things that you'll experience yourself is if you do something like really intense assault bike sprints, your heart rate mightn't return to your normal resting heart rate for a number of hours after, potentially not even until later the day, later in the day, if you were working really, really hard. So as a result, you are burning more energy during that period of time. Now, it's it's not that significant that if you you know do a, a hit a hit training session for 10 minutes in the morning high intensity interval training that suddenly you're you know going to be burning hundreds of calories extra every single hour but there is a minor effect there that you know it's it's a non-zero effect so that's another rationale that someone would have and then the final thing that someone would consider would be specific substrate utilization and what i mean by that is that People will often hypothesize that exercising at certain intensities will increase fat oxidation more than exercising at other intensities. And this is something that actually features in most popular commercial gyms where you'll typically see a heart rate chart and you'll see that, you know, this is the fat burning zone. This is the fitness zone, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The reality is that we're not too interested in the specific substrate, substrate that's being utilized within the session, whether it's carbohydrates or whether it's fats, because ultimately what happens is over the course of the day, um, if you've burnt a ton of energy, and even if it was all from carbohydrates during a workout, you might then oxidize more fat throughout the day because you don't have as many carbohydrates available because you've burnt them. So the body finds a way to produce energy from substrates regardless. And that's why overall, we're most concerned with the energy expenditure that emerges from that fat loss, then there's just one final thing. The final rationale would be one that I don't think most people have, but it's true. And that is that doing, uh, being more active can improve appetite regulation um, and, and other factors as well. So it can, it can improve appetite regulation, generally not if you do far too much, but up to a certain point, you, you might feel your appetite is better controlled. Some people don't find that. And then there's also the case that if you're fitter, and this obviously is more relevant for people who have a low baseline level of aerobic fitness, if you're fitter, you're generally going to be a bit more energized throughout the rest of your day because things don't fatigue you as much. You're more efficient at producing energy, at doing so with low fatigue. So that is something that can potentially contribute to uh, a more fat loss conducive lifestyle, let's say, um, as well. So there, there's some of the, the rationale that immediately come to mind. Yeah. And this is, again, it, it is more than just the calorie expenditure stuff. Like, obviously that's the, the main thing that's going on, right? Because, you know, people are like, right, you want to lose some fat. We need to be in a calorie deficit. How do you get in a calorie deficit? Oh, well, you've two variables to manipulate. You have how much you move, how much you exercise, all that kind of stuff. And then obviously you have how much food you put in your mouth, right? So obviously cardio has a role to play in manipulating how much you move. And it's also probably the most effective tool we have in regulating how much you move. And that's purely by virtue of the fact that you can do a lot of it. Right? So it's like, you can literally, you know, sit there, well, sit there, you can sit there on a bike or whatever and do eight hours, 10 hours of exercise, right? And it's relatively low fatigue exercise, right? And I think it was in the last podcast, you said it, like you can't do that with, you know, leg training session. You can't just do a four hour leg workout, right? It's, it's just not going to end well for you, right? So that is one of the things where it's like, okay, we have a tool here that is actually fantastic for manipulating this calories in calories out equation however again 
we need to be thinking about what are we actually trying to do when we're trying to get fat loss or when we're trying to go on a fat loss diet. Generally speaking, we're trying to create a certain look. Now, obviously, there are other reasons for fat loss, you know, like potentially your doctor has told you you need to lose some weight for X, Y, and Z health condition, right? So there are obviously other reasons, potentially also, you know, you were looking to lose some fat over, I know the lockdowns and stuff, because you heard about like, you know, the link between COVID and, you know, body fatness and different things like that. So, you know, there's obviously potentially a variety of reasons for looking to get fat loss, right? There are also a variety of reasons as to why you would want to do cardiovascular training outside of just fat loss. You know, like you want to be fitter. You want to actually have good cardiovascular conditioning. You want to have good cardiovascular health, right? Those kind of things. It's like there, there are multiple, multiple things going on here that you need to be aware of. And that also then go on to inform your decision, right? So Cardio is a, a very valuable tool for a number of reasons. However, that does, that's not really helpful, right? Because you can know that this is, a, this is a great tool. You know, you can know that resistance training is a great tool, right? You can know that a hammer is a great tool. If you don't know how to use it or you don't know what to actually do with this tool, it's kind of useless, right? So let's get into some of the more practical aspects of you know, cardiovascular conditioning or training in relation to fat loss. And then hopefully we can kind of come to some sort of recommendations towards the end of this so that we can, again, put this into your actual lifestyle context, et cetera, right? It's not just a case of, oh, well, here, just do this uh, cardio. Cardio is good. And that's just, that doesn't tell you the whole story, right? So the first question I have, Gary, and you did touch on a few different things with regards to this already, but... If we're looking for fat loss, should we be doing high intensity interval training? You know, some sort of, again, hit training, maybe on an assault bike, maybe on some sort of sprints, whatever it is, right? Or should we be doing low intensity work, right? Because obviously, you know, the low intensity work, we have the potential there to burn quite a few calories, right? It's, it's pretty decent. We could do that again, two, three, four or five hours, right? But unfortunately, it also takes two, three, four, five hours to burn a lot of calories. So if we work at higher intensities, you know, potentially we could burn more calories in a shorter space of time, right? So is that all there is to this? Is that the only deciding factor between those two things? It's just a time commitment or is there more to the discussion? Yeah. So, I mean, I do prescribe fat loss for the vast majority, or I do prescribe cardio for the vast majority of my fat loss clients. And typically that looks something like one to two interval sessions and a weekly target for their low intensity continuous work. So that might be like, I'm just happy for that to be flexible. So it could be something like, right, I want you to get 45 minutes in per week at 120 to 140 beats per minute, let's say, or 130 to 150 on a, at a mode of activity that you enjoy. So it could be, or that you have access to. So it could be swimming, it could be cycling, running, whatever. Okay. And they might do that in one session, 45 minutes in one session. They might do 30 in one, 15 in another. They might do three by 15, etc. Ultimately, that's something I leave flexible. And then I would generally prescribe one to two interval sessions, um, which again will vary depending on the person's fitness more than anything, because interval training, especially hard interval training, where it's a genuine sprint at max effort on that whatever respective piece of equipment, 
it's very, very fatiguing. And ultimately, if we're using this as a supplement to um, the per- person's fat loss approach, we don't need to be you know, running the person totally into the ground with the cardio for the sake of, of energy expenditure. Now, generally, I'm looking at this from the perspective of cardio serving a and serving the purpose of improving fitness overall and also improving health. So I'm not just thinking about calorie burning or very rarely am I thinking about that. Um, so with regards to which you should do or which is better, I generally like a mix of both. I don't like too much interval training because it's very fatiguing. Um, and if we're going to try to make a significant dent on energy expenditure across the week, like if we want to have four sessions, let's say, um, so that we're increasing energy expenditure on four days of the week, then I would be inclined to have a mix of the two. Because if you're just doing interval training and you're genuinely going, as I said, at a hard, high intensity, then it's going to be probably difficult to do productive weight training along with that to the same degree. So if you have, let's say, heavy squats and leg press and lunges, and then you're going doing maximal effort all out 20 to 30 second intervals on the assault bike, you know, that's going to compromise your recovery from that weight training. So I probably would, you know, reserve it for certain days and not every day of my cardio training. So generally slightly longer duration for the continuous and shorter duration for the intervals. Obviously the rest periods are baked in there. So it might be someone's doing 30 seconds on one minute, 30 off or something for their intervals, if they're going quite hard and they might do, I don't know, five to 10 rounds of that. Let's say, you know, this overall session will be shorter despite those rest periods being in there. Um, and, and yeah, I think a mix of the two is wise. And just remember that the goal is to run this alongside your weight training and don't let it take over. Don't let it, be the cause of you not recovering from your weight training or a cause of a decline in strength because this is something we did discuss in the last podcast where very often when people begin to lose strength um in the gym or their performance declines in the gym it's not necessarily just the result of the deficit but other things that might be occurring so maybe their deficit is far too severe or they've changed their training in in favor of another goal that they that that wouldn't necessarily just be strength And in this case, what can happen is someone can get so focused on doing, let's say, more steps per day, like doing 20, 30,000 steps per day or doing so much cardio that now they're not recovering from their weight training. So remember the hierarchy of priorities there. 100%. And I I would be very similar in how I approach this stuff, Um, especially with the fat loss clients, just in general as well. Like I do like people to have some sort of cardiovascular conditioning in their training programs. It does seem to make sense from all we know about health and fitness in general Um, and obviously it does actually it has a synergistic effect with resistance training in that you know you get fitter for your resistance training and as a result you can recover better and then you can train harder right but obviously there is a tipping point there and you're more likely to reach that tipping point if you are in a calorie deficit and you don't have that like surplus of recovery uh, or recoverability whatever you want to call it right so it definitely does make sense in my mind to include a little bit of both however i probably err a little bit more on the we'll say lower volume of higher intensity stuff and obviously you you kind of are as well and what i generally do is i just do it after resistance training right now that for some people they're like i like to have it away from my resistance training i like to have it on separate days i like to do xyz for me i'm like i would rather you have fuller days of recovery right let's say we're training 
you know, resistance training three days per week. I'm like, let's actually just put a little bit of cardiovascular conditioning, like higher intensity stuff at the end of those three days. So you still have the four days off per week. You're not, you're not doing an extra session of just interval training. Now there's an argument to be made. And I, I, I think you would probably make this argument that your training intensity, your ability to push on those sessions is reduced as a result of that, right? Because you're not like, you're not going in fresh. You're not like being able to push on that, but I'm kind of like, that's what I'm baking into the system. That's what I'm kind of putting in there as a restriction so that you're not actually pushing excessively hard so that you are actually able to recover from this. Like it's not a a really hard conditioning session that like you go on something like the rogue echo bike or any assault bike really. And it's like, Oh no, you're actually torched for the next few days. Right. I'm like, I don't want that to be the case. I don't want that to be the limiting factor. So I'm going to put the resist or the cardiovascular training at the end of the training session. So there's already that little bit of a, I'm not able to push as hard on this. And then I also do stuff like you were mentioning there. I usually have like a, a rest, rest to work ratio of like three to five to one so we are getting a good bit of rest in there and it's not a case of what people generally think of as like high intensity interval training they're like oh well that means like you know uh tabatas or uh you know they're just like oh i do 30 seconds on 30 seconds off and i do that for 20 minutes it's like that's there's no way that's high intensity like you're always you're, you're not able to push that hard for that long because what i want to have from a high intensity session is actual high intensity right so that actually means that you're going to be pushing hard you're going to get into levels of intensity we'll say that are you know quite high you know that's what we want we want high intensity right if you're in a session and you're doing 20 30 40 minutes of high intensity work and you're like oh yeah man my intensity was high throughout that whole time it's like you can look at your heart rate and you can be like yeah okay cool the first one or two you started out and you got your heart rate up but then it kind of dripped or dipped down and it stayed down you know you might have actually been on like 140 to 150 beats per minute throughout that session and it's like that's not high intensity you know that's you were doing like low intensity there your heart rate was at like 140 <laughs> you know and this does actually happen quite often and people don't realize it and it's like you actually did less work because your average heart rate was at that because you were taking rest periods whereas if you had just kept your heart rate at 140 and you know done a a lower intensity session you probably would have burned more calories right but that's a, a discussion we'll have in a second right so for me i'm like i actually just like to have some high intensity training at the end of a session and rather than doing like you know five to ten sprints or something like that i'm like i'm actually going to keep this at like three to five you know it's like it's a lower amount and it's also at a you know a little bit of a lower intensity because it is directly after your resistance training but for me as i said and as you said as well like i'm not really looking at the the calorie burn from this you know i know you're probably going to burn 100 150 maybe calories from that depending on the exact you know specifics of that uh the the way i have it set up and so it's like i know you know that that's a decent little bit of a calorie flux going on there but i'm not looking at it from a purely calorie burning perspective right and then what i do often like like you said there is like i like to have another session in there or at least a weekly target of like let's do 45 minutes to 60 minutes of lower intensity stuff you know again i might give a uh, beats per minute uh, target for that it might be like 130 to 150 it might be for some people it might be like actually i want you to go a little bit higher on this or a little bit lower or like whatever it is again 
specific to the individual, right? And in my mind, I'm like, that's a nice little program there because you're getting the benefits of both the higher intensity stuff and then you're also getting the benefits of the lower intensity stuff, right? The main deciding factor in this stuff, it it kind of comes down to what the specific goal is. And for us, a lot of our clients, the specific goal is they want to be healthy, fit, athletic, we'll say, while also achieving their body composition and you know performance goals and health goals or whatever. Um, so for us, I'm like, we kind of need to hit everything. Now, obviously, again, like if people are coming to us with very specific goals, we're not giving this like shotgun approach, right? But if someone's like, I want to just generally feel better, I want to be fitter, I want to do X, Y, Z. I'm like, I want to hit as many targets as we can while still maximizing the actual results that we get from those. So it's not just a pure scattergun approach. It's like, we're actually getting a, a measurable benefit from each of these things that we bring in. We're not bringing it in in such a low dose that it's not effective, right? So time efficiency has to play into this. And for a lot of people, the higher intensity stuff is going to be more time efficient. However, as I said earlier on, that actually presupposes that you are doing high intensity training, right? Like it's, it's not time efficient to do low intensity training and pretend it's high intensity training, right? Like it doesn't make sense. You're not actually getting the benefit that you think you are, right? Now, on top of that, you could argue that there are specific substrate utilization. You could be like, oh, well, if we're you know tapping into glycogen stores here, for example, you know, it's like we're going to do higher intensity training because it's tapping into glycogen stores and we're going to deplete those glycogen stores. And as a result of that, we're then going to be tapping more into fat stores later in the day, especially if we are in a uh, calorie deficit. You could make that argument. Conversely, you could also make the opposite argument where you're like, oh, well, if we do low intensity work, you know, we're, you know, we're basically tapping directly into fat stores. We're doing like fatty, like fat oxidation to fuel that aerobic work, right? So you can make an argument either way. And again, I think it comes back to this. It just makes sense to have both of these in the program, you know, like why would you not get the benefits of both of these when you can very easily put both of them in the training program? Like you don't need to be fearful of doing aerobic work. You don't, always need to be doing high intensity work and also high intensity work isn't inherently better from or than uh, aerobic work like lower intensity work unless we're talking about very very specific things like i wouldn't have like an olympic sprinter say for example being like oh yeah you need to do more aerobic work like they, they might at certain stages but realistically their bread and butter is going to be doing sprint specific stuff right and do you mind to say on that especially the time efficiency and the substrate utilization gary no i agree with you you know i mean i think it is one of those things where you can go back and forth on biochemical rationale for various training programs but ultimately we're interested in outcomes more than anything else and when you look at the the research you look at you know the anecdotes that we have through our coaching practice I don't think you need to massively sway in favor of one type of cardio. And I think a mixed approach is generally quite nice while also appreciating that it's not necessary to do cardio for fat loss. You can absolutely, you can genuinely sit in your ass all day and do no exercise and have success with fat loss. You sure can. It's not the best way of going about things, but it's possible. So just recognize that, yes, it can be part of a useful approach. It's something we generally recommend. But remember, stay active throughout your day and you're already on the path. You know, you're, you're, if you're just walking enough, you're getting your steps in, 
um, and that's all you have time for, you don't have time for this additional exercise, that's totally fine. Prioritize your weight training. Maybe you get in one cardio session per week. It doesn't need to be something that's, you know, a big stressor. 100%. Um, now, on top of this, like you may be looking for specific fitness adaptations, right? And this might be from a sporting context. This might be from just an enjoyment context. Like you might be like, I actually want to be able to, you know, go for a jog and be able to run for 30 minutes. You know, like I've had clients that are like that. They're like, you know, I used to be able to go for a run. I'm not anymore. I'm not able to anymore. So I want to build back to that. Right. So that might bias how you then structure your fat loss phase, because you have what I always call like asterisk goals. Right. And like, you actually have multiple goals within this. It's like, you want fat loss, but you also want this other thing, right? So from that perspective, you might change the, the overall structure of the training program. You might be like, right, actually, you know, we might think that we're going to have this mix of, you know, high intensity training, and then this mix of, you know, low intensity training, and we're going to do a bit of a hodgepodge of everything. And, um, but in reality, if this client comes to you and they're like, right, I actually want to be able to run 5k 10k whatever you might then be like right well you know what to do that we're actually going to put again a little bit of cardio after the resistance training but we're actually going to keep it lower intensity because what we want to do here is build a little bit more endurance in your ability to run you know it might actually even be before the training session you know we might be like right we're actually just going to build up to being able to run for 10 minutes at the end of a resistance training session, right? Even a leg training session, you know? Um, and then on the weekend or whatever, you might be like, right, uh, then we're also going to go for a longer run, perhaps, just to kind of really put some you know, time on, on the legs, right? And again, you might be breaking that run up. You might be like, run for five minutes, you know, stop or walk for two minutes, five to whatever it is, right? Depends on the, the, the individual's fitness level, right? So that is something to also layer on top of this. It's like fitness improvements and fitness qualities, fitness goals, like they are also going to dictate the process because oftentimes, again, when we're talking about this stuff, people look at it through the lens of, oh, we're only looking at fat loss. That's the only time we could even be thinking about cardio. When in reality, there's a lot more to cardiovascular training than just fat loss, right? And again, most people are aware of that, but it can be very much seen as purely a tool for manipulating calorie balance, right? And that isn't, in my mind at least, that isn't the most effective way to view cardio. So do you have anything to say on that, Gary, in terms of fitness improvements? Because I know you do work with a lot of people that have, we'll call them mixed goals. Like you work with a lot of people that, you know, maybe they have endurance goals as well as body composition goals, um, so what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think that when you have specific um, performance goals that are related to, to cardio or those types of activities, that the philosophy needs to be more similar to that of what we talk about when we talk about weight training and that your cardio should be aimed at your primary goal. You know, So if you're a runner and you've had a running program all along and now you're trying to lose body fat, then you would view it in the same way that we discussed weight training in the last podcast, where the, the training variables of the training structure that would lead to an improvement in your running fitness is the structure that you should be pursuing, even if you're trying to lose body fat. It's not like suddenly now you take out your tempo runs, you scrap all your pacing that you normally follow, 
you scrap your heart rate zones and you just do, I don't know, six days a week of 60 minutes continuous, you should still be focusing on the performance side of things. Um, you could still, even if you are a runner or someone who, let's say, plays a field sport where you're already doing lots of cardio, you could consider adding in like lower intensity work um, for, let's say, 60 to 90 minutes a week where it's very low fatigue. So it's not taking away from your ability to engage in those uh, sporting activities uh, too much. But I think overall, for someone who's already doing a lot of cardio or conditioning work for performance, and they're now trying to lose body fat, I would generally be looking at nutrition as the real big variable that I'm leaning far more in the direction of rather than considering considering cardio to be a, a primary focus here. 100%. Um, so yeah, look, again, if you have specific goals around cardiovascular conditioning, whatever, it makes sense to structure your program to attack those goals. I don't think that you know, is too, uh, too out there to say, you know, now there is another thing that oftentimes gets brought up, um, when we're talking about cardio. And again, it also influences how people then actually implement their cardio. They talk about specific hormonal adaptations to different cardiovascular methods, right? People will be like, oh, well, this cardiovascular method is good for, you know, producing growth hormone. And as a result of that, it's great for, you know, potentially building muscle as well as potentially, losing fat as well right so is that something we need to be aware of is that something that we should even be taking into account um like are we looking at these hormonal responses to you know high intensity exercise are we looking at potentially the neurochemical if i could speak the neurochemical response to low intensity uh or cardiovascular training what are your thoughts here gary no, I mean, I think that the thing you need to understand when you're thinking about these hormonal variations is that acute changes in the release of hormones can occur for many, many different reasons that do not seem specific to the outcome you might be um, interested in. An example of this would be when people talk about grow growth hormone, you know, you'd assume that, all right, that's just going to be a potent muscle builder. So I want more of that. You know, that sounds good. But like, if you're if people often say, oh, I'm fasting to in increase my growth hormone, like, yeah, you might, you know, release more growth hormone acutely, but it's not something that's actually increasing muscle building outcomes. And very clearly in that case, taking that to the extreme would be very poor for your muscle building outcomes. And it's, it's similar when it comes to, you know, the, the hormonal aspects of, of training. You know, one of the things that people often focus on is you know, you should do more or you should do weight training because uh, here's what happens to your hormones after the workout, you know, but ultimately these things are just acute responses to changes in energy demands, changes in stressors in the body. And they don't actually tell you much about the adaptations. So in cases where, you know, someone says, oh, don't do uh, cardio because it increases cortisol or something like that. Like, I just wouldn't pay too much attention to it. I think just recognize that the endocrine response to exercise is primarily responding to the demands being put on the body during the activity and not necessarily reflective of chronic change. I think that's the most important thing. And, and it's not something I'd be basing um, training rationale on. 100%. I'm in a thousand percent agreement. And um, like, obviously, again, in certain circumstances, you might look into it a bit more but i'm struggling to think of which circumstances those would be right like i can make some for potentially 
um, we'll call it neurochemical changes um, or neuroendocrine changes. Like, you know, some people find that going for a run gives them this kind of runner's high and they're like, it actually boosts my mood. And it's like, you know, it makes them feel really good. Whereas, you know, high intensity training potentially doesn't give them that. Right. And again, we can get into differences in like, you know, serotonin and whatever else that is the reason behind that. However, it's kind of like that that's more of a practical thing like we're actually not we don't care about the actual changes that are occurring we're not trying to measure them we're not trying to influence them necessarily but we are potentially changing our protocols so that we are in a position where you know the program actually leaves you feeling good while also achieving your goals you know so it's like we don't actually care if this releases more growth hormone or whatever because as long as it actually helps you with your goals and as long as it brings you towards the the target that you want you know it's like who cares and then one thing you touched on it earlier on, and I'm going to kind of wrap two things into this. The first thing is this epoch, this excess post-exercise oxygen consumption. Like this is something that people use to rationalize why they choose, you know, high intensity interval training over lower intensity training. Right. And this epoch, it really only accounts for a potential extra, like some people call it the afterburn effect. So you exercise and then you create this like, you know, oxygen deficit, we'll say. Um, and then in getting that back, getting that, you know, back to a level that is sufficient. And then also, you know, we'll call it fixing any of the metabolic disturbances that have occurred due to you doing that resistance training. And um, like Gary said earlier on, like you often see people do, or sorry, I said resistance training, I meant high intensity training. So you often see people do their high intensity training, uh, high intensity interval training. And then all of a sudden they're like, cool, I'm stopped, but their heart rate is still elevated for potentially hours afterwards. Right. So there are some like metabolic changes that are clearly occurring and then, you know, being propagated going forward. Right. So you effectively do burn some extra calories after that training session, that high intensity interval training session that you don't necessarily burn when you do a low intensity training session right um, and this is again something that you potentially want to pay attention to like that might be something that you need to account for given your goals but it really only accounts for six to fifteen percent of the calories burned during that exercise and you might think wow that's actually you know quite a lot right that's you know on average some people are getting less than that some people are potentially getting more than that again depends on your fitness level depends on a few other things however like as I said earlier on, like if we were to use that same kind of thought process of like, oh, I want to do, I'm going to do high intensity interval training because it's going to have this afterburn effect. Like if you're only burning like a hundred, 150 calories at the end of your resistance training, because you did a high intensity session, like that's an extra like six to 15 calories, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's, that's not that much. You know, it's like, this is you know, like, you could be like, oh, wow, six to 15%. It sounds like a huge amount. But when you actually look at the numbers, it's like, this is literally a lick of a fucking Weedabix. You know, it's like, this is nothing, you know? Um, so, you know, does it really matter? Um, now, you might say, wow, okay, if that's the case, I'm going to do an actual 40-minute high-intensity interval training session and then I'm going to get six to 15% of that. And it's way bigger. It's like, wow, we get this huge burn. Like maybe you, you know, you say, I'll be able to burn a thousand calories in this 40 minutes of high intensity interval training. But again, we come back to that problem that no one's able to do 40 minutes of high intensity interval training. 
you know it just becomes low intensity or even just this weird moderate intensity and as a result you're not getting this epoch you're not actually getting the effect that you want to get once you start going past this point and it becomes more aerobic than anaerobic right so in my mind i'm like we shouldn't even be focusing on this epoch, right? It's actually even like, if we want to really get into like the, the biochemistry of it and you get into like metabolic equivalence and everything like that, it's like, it's actually very poorly supported by the actual research. And um, so in my mind, I'm like, look, just forget it even exists. You might get an extra few extra calories burnt from your high intensity training, but in the grand scheme of things, that's kind of fucking irrelevant. Yeah, I agree. Again, it's not something I would base training rationale on. So I agree. Fantastic. The next thing, and it's somewhat related to this, is that different training modalities do actually result in differences in, we'll call it mitochondrial efficiency, mitochondrial quality, quantity. And we could definitely, like we've talked about this before, we did a cardiovascular episode or series, I should say. So we've talked about some of this stuff before, but this is stuff that, Again, you can make rationale for different training modalities and why you might potentially choose a lower intensity training or a higher intensity training to get different adaptations. You might be like, oh, actually, I want to get better buffering capacity in these cells. I want them to be able to buffer, uh, you know, lactic acid. You know, I would say lactate because, you know, anyway, that's a different fucking story. Um, Or you want them to be able to handle like, you know, pyruvate a little bit better. You want them to be able to handle acidosis a little bit better. There's also, you know, some other specific enzymatic adaptations that could occur. And it's like, you might be like, right, that's why we're doing high intensity interval training. And you might be like, right, we actually want to get lower intensity uh, training because we want to have, you know, maybe some specific heart adaptations, or maybe you want to increase mitochondrial biogenesis and create more mitochondria. So you have like more units of mitochondria doing the same job. And, um, but ultimately I'm like, like for most people, this stuff, it just doesn't fucking matter. It just like, it's, it's so irrelevant purely because just exercising gets you a lot of these benefits. And unless you have a specific goal, like Arya said previously, like this kind of primary goal, like if you're like, oh, actually I want to become a marathon runner. It's like, okay, well then we need to do some specific stuff, right? But if you're like, I just want to lose some fat, it kind of doesn't matter. And oftentimes the rationales we make for, you know, getting a different or getting a certain adaptation is actually not the best practice for fat loss because with fat loss, we do actually want to be a little bit more inefficient, right? And we'll come back to that, right? And so you actually don't want to, you want to basically delay getting these adaptations that make you more efficient for as long as possible when you are trying to lose fat because, you know, that's how you get more calories burnt, right? And But do you have anything to say on, you know, the mitochondrial stuff, Gary? I think mitochondria are great. I hear they're the powerhouses of the cell. <laughs> Couldn't resist. Uh, yeah. Need look. <laughs> We're done. And it, for, for the record, it's, it's just the ultimate. For anyone who's like studied in college and you've done biochemistry, you've done cell biology, you've done physiology, it's just the most cringe statement. You just hear it 50 million times. The mitochondrion is the powerhouse of the cell. But anyway, I'm sure you've seen the memes. But yes, I think uh, mitochondria are fantastic. And I think having more of them is a, is a good thing. And having better mitochondrial quality is a good thing. And um, yeah, I mean, like you get mitochondrial biogenesis as the result of various um, 
modes of of activity. I don't think you necessarily need to make um, like specific decisions to try to target your mitochondria. Um, it's it's one of those things where you you're not really able to to measure it anyway. Uh, so you know, I think the the guidelines, as discussed previously, where you're trying to do a mix of of the more aerobic work and the higher intensity work, I think that's generally what I would stand by and what's going to give you the return on investment with uh, mitochondrial biogenesis and or all of the other adaptations of interest. Exactly. And the next thing then is wear and tear on the body, because obviously endurance training has a certain wear and tear on the body. And then also higher intensity training has a certain wear and tear on the body. And as you are the triage injury expert, human resilience expert, whatever you want to call yourself, right? How should we view that? Should we be viewing that as you know what, this is actually a bad thing. We should avoid endurance training. We should avoid this like high repetition, you know, continuous motion training because it's going to cause wear and tear in the body. Or should we avoid high intensity training where it's like you're putting more, you know, force through these joints, through these different structures, and that's an issue. What are your thoughts? In some cases, yes, because I mean, what what you do see a lot of people do is, they'll just take up running and they'll try to do like high intensity interval training in the form of sprints without any prior experience with running. And this is a really bad idea because what you'll find is that your hamstrings and your adductors and your glutes and maybe your calves will be super fatigued if you haven't been used to doing any sprinting. And if you suddenly decide, right, I'm going to do uh, three 20 minute sprint sessions a week, like that's a lot to add in and it's probably going to compromise or potentially increase injury risk, but also compromise your ability to engage in weight training for those same muscle groups. So when trying to think about this from an injury perspective, I'm typically thinking about, um, you know, what joints are we using? How can we reduce uh, impact, especially if we're doing very high intensity work, like rather than having someone do lots and lots of, you know, really difficult sprints, it might be a case that we do bike sprints where, Yes, you are obviously taking some impact and you're producing a lot of force and you're still working very hard, but you don't have that repeated eccentric loading that you would have with something like sprinting. Uh, It's primarily a concentric activity and that tends to lead to less muscle soreness um, and less muscle damage. Uh, as well. So that's something that is is a, a favorable thing to aim for. There's also something to be said for varying modalities of cardio where you're applying different forces on the joints, but you're also using different joints. An example with that, with that, of that would be, for example, the ski erg. If you're using the ski erg, primarily an upper body um, modality. And there are specific local adaptations within um, your muscles. And many people don't train uh, their upper body cardiovascular fitness at all. Uh, so while you are getting systemic benefits, you can get additional local benefits by training those muscles specifically. So um, there's that. And then there's also the fact that if you're doing 30 minutes on the ski erg and 30 minutes on, let's say, uh, the spin bike, you've now spread that load of cardiovascular exercise across lots of different joints and lots of different muscles, which will lead to overall uh, greater tolerability than if you were to um, do all of it on one exercise modality. So I generally have variation with the modes that we use. I very rarely program all uh, the same modality, unless it's a case that someone's a runner, very close to a competitive run or something. Uh, I think cross training where you're doing multiple different types is very wise. Um, and if you can make that 
both upper and lower body and varying between the two, potentially using both like rowing and a salt bike or just using one like ski or, or spin bike. Um, I think that's a really good way of going about things. And also it's just way less boring, like way less boring, 60 minutes on like one cardio equipment, like even running, like I actually fucking hate running, but the reason I hate running is not from a, you know, oh, it's sore or anything. It's just fucking boring. You know, unless you're like, or maybe you're running, like I've a lot of mountains around here, unless you're running up a mountain or something, you're like, the terrain is different and whatever else, like, cause it's, it effectively becomes different exercises then where you're like, this is a hill sprint and this is a, you know, flatland run. And this is a downhill run. It's like, that kind of feels a bit more interesting, but man, if you're doing like 60 minutes of just the same thing, you know, like I used to do like, you know, 60 minutes of a run or 60 minutes on the cross trainer or whatever. And it's like, it just becomes boring. At a certain stage, it's like, yeah, cool. When you're really motivated to do this, you, you do a great job. You're like, okay, cool. I wanted to burn 400 calories, 500, 600, whatever it is. Or you're like, I wanted to keep my heart rate at this zone or whatever. It's like, you can do that, right? But when you're, as soon as you're not motivated, you're just like, this, this is actually torture, you know? Whereas if you split that up, like, yeah, you get these other like localized like uh, benefits, but it's also just not boring, right? Um, so that is another thing, right? So I think that makes sense from the perspective of wear and tear in the body. There's a few little things we want to tie up. Fasted cardio, Gary, do you think it has benefit? I personally, I think it does have merit from a few different perspectives. Um, I think it does have merit from the perspective of, you know, it potentially sets you up correctly for the day. It also potentially puts you in a position where, you know, if you are trying to mobilize some fatty acid stores, um, you know, that are more stubborn, we could make an argument that it is potentially beneficial. However, that really only applies to people that are extremely shredded. And then more importantly, and it's really the reason why a lot of people talk about fasted cardio is because it definitely makes sense if certain drugs are at play, right? Whether they are, you know, something like Yohimbine or whether it's something like, you know, potentially even insulin and stuff. And um, like, it definitely does make, or growth hormone as well. Like it definitely does make sense if certain other drugs are at play. Um, but for most people, fasted cardio is just not like a, a magic pill. It's just not a, oh, this is the thing that's going to, you know, get you to, extra benefits that you wanted you know what are your thoughts gary yeah i would agree you know as you said i think there's practical benefits i think there's circumstantial benefits like if someone is in competition prep and already very very lean maybe you can make the case that it might um be favorable might give them that little bit of an edge we don't really have much evidence to support that there's lots of anecdotes to support that um and it's something that's always been done in bodybuilding and i think you can make some physiological rationale but very difficult to, to tease that out because of the minor magnitude of effect that you would expect, um, which might be significant in bodybuilding, but very likely to be just very unlikely to be significant anywhere else, um, including, including statistical outcomes in a research study. So um, for most people, you know, there might be a practical benefit of doing it first thing in the morning, uh, but uh, I, I wouldn't really suggest it as being a, a superior tool for fat loss. We've discussed before some of the benefits of potentially doing fasted or low energy availability training for um, some of those uh, adaptations uh, mitochond to the mitochondria um, and other cardiorespiratory fitness components, um, especially for endurance athletes. There might be some benefits to training in, in low uh, carbohydrate states, but uh, for fat loss, uh, you know, neither here nor there for me. 100%. Then, you know, nearly finally, um, 
if we're talking about cardio, does neat like non-exercise activity thermogenesis factor into this? Because I would I would basically say that it does. You know, you have these basically three tools. You have resistance training, you have cardiovascular training, and then you have neat. But neat is really just an extension of that cardiovascular training. It's just at a different heart rate zone. You know, it's like your neat might be you know moving around, but it is cardio to some extent. You know, and um, you might be going for a walk. That's cardio to an extent you know like it might be at like 90 beats per minute or like when you're really fit it might be like you know 70 beats per minute that's one of the annoying things as well especially as you get really really fit like you're doing your same daily activities but they're just really really easy right and you might be like oh that's that's obviously a benefit right but from a fat loss perspective that's not really a benefit like i want my heart rate jacked up to be like 160 while i'm walking on pump through uh calories while i'm going for this you know 15 minute walk like i don't want to be extremely fit struggling to get my heart rate over 80 beats per minute even though i'm going uphill walking you know it's like you know like that's that's just the case with fitness right um but neat gary i would be like or i would be of the perspective that we would ideally have a you know, neat goal. And the way we would track this is usually through steps. And this is just to account for the fact that if we do bring in cardio or resistance training, usually what happens is there is some sort of adaptation throughout the day where, you know, if you bring in a a cardio session or a training session, like most people are going to move less throughout the day. Right. And so we want to kind of somewhat standardize the movement throughout the day. And the way we do this is through neat. It also accounts for the fact that if we are in a calorie deficit, generally what happens is people start to move less throughout the day. So we want to also again standardize for that as well. So in my mind, it's a standardization thing, but also it is an extension of the cardiovascular training. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I would agree. And it's something I prioritize with the vast majority of my clients that I'll give them some sort of step target unless they already work a job that is very standardized where like they know that they're getting 10 to 15,000 per day. And that's just a standard in their schedule. No need to track it in that case. But for most people, I want them to be, you know, getting their activity up throughout the day. It's a very low fatigue way of, of achieving uh, extra energy expenditure as additional health benefits. So it absolutely is something that I would consider on that cardio spectrum. Fantastic. And then basically the second last thing here is there are some other, you know, we'll call them esoteric modalities that you could use uh, for cardio that people don't really think about. And one of those is, you know, wearing something like a weight vest for doing your cardio, right? Because as we've discussed previously, especially in the obesity uh, podcast series, like if you weigh more, like for every unit of time that you do doing cardio, like you are technically burning more calories. Like, and if you want to experiment with this, like go on a, you know, cardio equipment in the gym, whatever, and it asks you for your weight, like bump that up 20 kilos. Right. And all of a sudden you're going to see, wow, I used to do 10 minutes of cardio and it burnt whatever X amount of calories. And now you're like, oh, I do 10 minutes of cardio and it burns X amount plus 50, 100, whatever it is, uh, calories. And that's because you weigh more. You're actually doing more work because you weigh more. So a way you can get around this is by wearing some sort of weighted vest or weight equipment. Now, there's a, a few things to this. Now, again, look, why would you do that? Obviously, you can basically burn more calories for a unit of time. If you're like, I want to do 30 minutes of cardio, wearing a weight vest and burning more calories during that 30 minutes, 
potentially beneficial. It's also quite beneficial for, you know, everyday use. Like you're just like walking around your house, you can have a weight vest on, right? And it's like, oh, all of a sudden you're burning through more calories and as a result leading to more of an energy deficit, right? One of the things though that is also adjunct to this is the fact that like you could wear a weight vest, right? But there's actually been a lot of research on this by the US Army of all places and in terms of how energy expenditure occurs in relation to weight distribution on the body, right? Because obviously they're looking for their soldiers to be efficient. They're looking for, if you're going to have to march across, you know, however amount of expansive territory, I don't want you being fatigued. I don't want you to be inefficient. I don't want you to be burning through a lot of calories because that means you have to eat more, right? And, you know, ideally they don't want to have to give you 20 fucking MRE bars and to just sustain you through one march, you know? So it's like, how can we make things, how can we make people more efficient? And what they found is that the least efficient, which again, remember efficiency is something we do not want from a fat loss perspective. So the least efficient way, so the way that burns the most calories is having weight on your feet, right? And this is something that if you've ever gone hiking before, you'll know, like I always hike in a, you know, like trail running shoes and like, you know, Gary, you always see this as well. And because the two of us grew up on mountains, like you'll see people that are like, oh, you have to wear your like, you know, proper big boots for this. You have to wear your hiking boots. And like, that's, that's perfectly fine. But I know for me, I'm like, first of all, I'm never going to roll an ankle because it's, it's just never going to happen. If you grow up on a mountain, you're just like your, your ankles move different ways, you know? And, but second of all, you actually have so much more weight on your foot when you are wearing hiking boots or whatever else. Right. And what the, you know, the studies have found is that one pound of weight on your foot is worth five on your back. Right. So if you're trying to burn more calories by wearing a weight vest, you're actually way better off having more weight on your feet. Right. And it sounds a bit weird, but it actually, it is like a five to one type deal. Right. So if you have 20 kilos on your body, right. It's like, you can actually reduce that significantly by just wearing that weight on your feet. Right. And again, it makes sense. Like imagine you had to you know, hold the weight out to the side here, you had like wrist weights, you know, it's obviously gonna be way harder than if you had to hold your arms out and you had, you know, the weight on your chest, right? So it's like, it, it makes sense from a, a muscular endurance perspective. And also as an aside, if you were to wear like ankle weights versus wearing like a weight vest, you would also get absolutely fucking jacked um, hip flexors, which is you know quite beneficial because no one trains them, right? Um, and it's also way more, way less of an intervention. Like I just gave you a, a weight vest there the other day, Gary, 20 kilos. That thing looks like a fucking bomb vest, right? So like I can walk around, like I live in a, you know, we'll call it a quasi rural area. Like it's not exactly rural. It's also not exactly built up, you know, so I can wear that and it's grand, but I could not see someone wearing like a, a weight vest in the heart of a city, you know, it'd be like, you're getting the police called on you if you're wearing a weight vest, right? Because you see a lot of bodybuilders do implement something like this. And it's again, it's like this, that it's fine if you're living in certain areas, right? But if you live in other areas that you're getting the, the SWAT are going to come and they're going to not enjoy the fact that you're wearing a weight vest and you, they, they think it's a bomb vest, right? Um, so ankle weights are a potentially better alternative to this because you can reduce the amount of weight you use and also 
you can get the same amount of calorie burn, right? But it's just a thing to be thinking about. And there are other stuff, like there's other things like this, other different like, you know, calorie burning tricks and tools or whatever. Um, but ultimately, I look at all this stuff as like, this is just not as beneficial as the, you know, bread and butter stuff, your, your cardiovascular training, your general neat, your resistance training, and then obviously your diet. These are like, little additive things or potentially it might be a benefit if you are you know someone that got very lean you don't want to reduce calories anymore and it's like you just want to make your calorie deficit that little bit bigger without having to exercise more you know you don't have to do more time you don't have the time for it you can fit it in your day but also you want to you know still be able to eat the same amount of food that you have previously been eating adding in something like a weight vest for your walks or i would ideally say like ankle weights or you know, if you're like, I don't want to have, walk around with ankle weights, just get boots, you know, like literally just get heavy boots, you know, all of a sudden you have fucking two extra kilos on each of your feet. You're going to be burning more calories throughout the day as a result of that. Right. So it might seem inconsequential, but it is actually, it does add up over the whole week. You know, do you have anything to say on that, Gary? No, no, I get yourself some heavy boots, lads. <laughs> start trekking the roads there you go look it helps fat loss phase you're just gonna see people going from their their normal like what are those shoes that people get these days for training in the gym those black shoes with the the white stripe on it i don't know fucking you see them all the time people training with them they'll literally just be like changing from them to these fucking big military fucking industrial boots you know um but anyway yeah the final thing i want to wrap up on this is just that Again, I said it a few times, being inefficient is generally good for fat loss, right? Like you burn more calories. However, there is this kind of double-edged sword with this where, you know, if you are more efficient, potentially you can burn more calories because you're actually able to push harder, right? And again, it goes back to what we were discussing previously in the last episode about resistance training. Like if you are someone that can squat 300 kilos versus someone that is squatting their first 30 kilos, well, yeah, you're inefficient at squatting that 30 kilos, you're shaking all over the place and you're, you're burning a lot of calories doing that. You're probably not going to compete in terms of the energetic cost demands, etc of that person squatting that 300 kilos, right? So there is a little bit of a middle ground with this where it's like with fat loss, you do kind of want to be a little bit inefficient, but at the same time, it's like you want to eventually get efficient so that you can really put a lot of effort into this stuff, you know? And so there are ways to use that information. Like you might be like, okay, I'm going to do a fat loss phase and I'm going to, you know, potentially cycle through a few different cardio, you know, equipment so that again, I'm like inefficient at some of them. I'm better at some of them. I'm worse at some of them, but you're, you're, you're expending a lot of energy doing this. And, um, but eventually you do get to that stage where you are quite efficient at all of them. And then you can push a lot harder, you know? Um, but anyway, Gary, that's all I have. Um, do you have anything to add to that? Do you have anything to discuss or if not, where can people find us? No, that's it. You know, guys, do your cardio, do your lifting um, in moderate proportions. No need to go crazy on the cardio for fat loss. Your diet should be doing most of the heavy lifting and you should be doing heavy lifting then to support your body composition as a whole, as opposed to just the fat loss side of things. Cardio, again, is something that we believe is a core of any exercise program and that everyone should be doing more cardiovascular exercise but it's not necessarily something that you should go crazy on just for the sake of fat loss. So um, 
yeah, that's, that's it for this podcast. If you need more specific guidance on your training or your nutrition, we do have coaching spaces available. So you can work with one of our coaches to get your training in order or get your nutrition in order or why not both. So uh, get in touch if you're interested. The details will be down below and you'll also find below all the details of uh, consuming our other content. So we've got a newsletter, we've got social media. um, We've obviously got the podcast here, which we would love if you share it around. If you do enjoy it, you know, pop it on your story or share it with a friend. If someone's interested in fat loss, they don't know anything about the process. This series would be very helpful for them. So you could share that with them. And if you do have the option, of course, we'd appreciate you leaving a review as well. Fantastic. Anyway, I have nothing else to add. So, uh, Enjoy the rest of the week, guys. Goodbye.